Oh, it's arguing agile. Oh, am I redlining everything? I don't know. Oh, we're back for part three. Okay. Sure. Yeah, well, it's part three because we're talking about how the Scrum Master serves the organization. So it's part of our series on what the Scrum Master does all day. Correct. Just a refresher, we're going through the Scrum Guide so we can use facts to power this discussion. This episode specifically is about the third, I guess the third header in the Scrum Master section yeah. called the Scrum Master serves the organization in several ways. That That's what this one's about. On the rejected version of this podcast, had we recorded one and not liked it and then re-recorded it now, it would have started with Ohm going on a, a, a long... A tirade. Doc, I was going to say giving his doctoral dissertation, but tirade also is appropriate, that most scrum masters do not understand that part of their role is to coach the organization. They think that's like the agile coach's job or somebody else's job or maybe their lead's job when they're in a larger program. But, surprise, here it is. It is in the Scrum Bible, so it must be true. Yeah, I mean, look, for the most part, and I don't want to generalize, but for the most part, Scrum Masters are focused on their teams. And to your point, they think coaching the organization is kind of... Uh, Above my pay grade? Yeah, kind of, right? They just say, well, can I really coach senior leaders? Will they listen to me? I'm just a lowly scrum master right the fact of the matter is they're they are supposed to be doing that that's part of their role so first and foremost before we kind of deep dive into this a scrum master is a coach right i'm going to repeat that for those of you in the back of the room Mm -hmm. a scrum master is a coach you coach various aspects you coach the product owner you coach your team and you coach the organization what does that mean aren't the teams and the product owner part of the organization right they are but the organization is much more than that it's all of your stakeholders it's all of your enablers disablers everybody in the organization basically <laughs> disablers <laughs> yeah, well, i could think of a word that was anti-enabler so the scrum master's role is to make sure that people understand what it means to work in an agile way the scrum guide does not say you only do those four bullets it says including right. there are a whole bunch of other things that the scrum guide doesn't dictate it doesn't say you stop at just those four things now one thing i want to home in on is the word adoption for sure the scrum master is very capable of advising coaching encouraging the organization on adoption but I, I certainly believe that is, again, not the limit. That is not the ceiling where the Scrum Master can operate. Adoption is one thing. That is classically, as we say in the coaching circles, doing Scrum or doing Agile, sorry, doing Agile, right? You need to be able to coach the organization beyond just the adoption. Sure, you can start with adoption. It's a great start. Yeah. And after that, over time, you need to get them to being agile Mm -hmm. it's ingrained in everything they do as opposed to specifically certain ceremonies which are now called events it's not just adoption it is thinking about lean practices it's thinking about funding products rather than projects those things aren't really adoption when people say adoption as a scrum master they're thinking more about the practices, the day-to-days, the events, the scrum events, making sure the organization attends these events where they're needed, the sprint review, the, the retrospectives for the teams, etc. Those are adoption. Adopting practices as opposed to evolving how we behave day in, day out. 
to work in an agile way, the frame of mind, yeah. right? So it's the being agile piece. Listen, there's not a lot of money in the frame of mind, all right? Can, can we put the dollars and cents to that? I'm already getting my angles of pushback ready for this because, again, we, we frame in the first part of the series, we frame this from the example of you are kind of having to explain your job. You know, so uh, when I was a scrum master on a program one time, as part of other duties, like I was a scrum master plus other things. But when I was a scrum master on a program one time, it, there was an attitude of we don't really think we need a scrum master, but we're kind of being forced to have one. So we don't really think you do anything all day, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, but yeah, yeah. It, yeah but, but but that's I would expect that a lot of people who are in a scrum master role, regardless of that role has been retitled, livery lead, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. They're going to deal with this this attitude at some point in their career. It's, at some point, no doubt, yeah, no doubt, you're absolutely right. They are going to deal with that. So I think organizations that say, "What does the scrum master do all day?" It's not. It's not. Let's just go granular here. It's not just the organization. It's it's at different levels. People say that, and those people invariably don't really understand what a scrum master does. So flipping that a little bit, what should the scrum master be doing in order to say? okay, here's what we do all day. I mean, I'm working eight, 10 hours a day, and yet you're thinking I don't do anything all day. So so where's that, how does that play out? The best way to convince somebody, you can tell them all day long, look, ask them home, and that yeah. doesn't really help. Yeah. The best way to convince somebody is to say, listen, why don't you shadow me for a couple of days, yeah. right? And see what happens. Because a lot of times the Scrum Master's work is emergent and it's not something that you can say, well, here's what I'm going to do this week yeah. and forecast it out. So I think that's a good approach with those people that say, what does the Scrum Master do all day? When it comes to serving the organization, it becomes even more important to make sure the people who are saying this that are outside of the immediate sphere of influence of the Scrum Master really understand that it's the Scrum Master that is keeping the machine going. And it's going to be harder for them to understand if you just talk about it. So invite them in. Invite them in to various things that you do all day and let them see for themselves. Whether they accept or not, it's a different question. But yeah. So the Scrum Master serves your organization. We're going to walk through the bullet points. My framework, I'm going to use the same framework I used in the first episode, only with less people. So we're going to move faster. About, about Give me an example of this. And then the second question is, who does this when there is no Scrum Master in the organization? So that we're going to try to walk through it like that, okay? So yeah. the, the first bullet point here is leading, training, and coaching the organization in Scrum adoption. Like, I, like, so this is a Scrum guide. So, of course, it says Scrum adoption. I'm going to, like, there, there's a removing barriers between stakeholders and Scrum teams. There are other bullet points talking about empirical approach. There's other bullet points that wrap larger concepts like lean and a lot of the concepts out of Kanban. You know what I mean? A lot of things that are not scrum. There's a lot of concepts here that I could put under the banner of leading training and coaching in scrum adoption. Like if you, if you understand how to do Kanban, well, again, this is my personal opinion. It's not based on anything. I think you're going to be a, you'll be a better 
I'm going to say implementer. That, I don't think that's a word, implementer. Practitioner. You, you'll, you'll be a better, well, it's not just, not just practitioner. Like it's practitioner, but, but you will be better at implementing Scrum throughout your organization at various levels. If you understand where, where, the, where, Scrum, where the borders of Scrum are and then where a flow begins. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I think the most effective Scrum masters understand Scrum very well. They understand Kanban very well, and they understand which, which parts of the organization, which which method will be successful, which model will be successful. Yeah. Now, people on LinkedIn, oh, you're going straight to models. Oh, you're not doing like, nah, yes, but like, I, if you work at Google or Amazon, please feel free to comment on this and talk to yes. me about it. If you work anywhere else, if you are an executive and you're listening to this, please tell me about the process the executives use to move stuff forward, because I would bet that every week you don't know what week one versus week two versus week three you don't know what you're going to deal with things are so chaotic that you need a framework that is lightweight enough for you to deal with your work in terms of to do doing done and priorities and x axis y axis and that's it you know what i mean simple yeah real simple put it on a board Make it transparent, knock it out. You got your flow. You know what I mean? If you really need metrics at that level, most executives probably don't do that. But I think you're way more effective. So we, why I'm bringing this up is leading, training, and coaching the organization in scrum adoption. So I, what you're talking about is coaching up in the organization. I think this first bullet point says the upstream stuff over here is part of your role. But the upstream stuff might not be scrum. scrum. But the downstream stuff might be 100% scrum. So you need to be able to draw a dividing line in the organization and say, okay, everything to the right, everything downstream, I can lead and train and coach. Great. I think this is this is like the softball part yeah. of this discussion we're about to have. Because yeah. I'm saying you need to be able to lead and train and coach wherever the line is drawn to the right downstream in the organization. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that first bullet says Scrum adoption because, right. well, it's the Scrum guide. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the, everything in there is going to be about Scrum. But to your point, a savvy Scrum master worth his or her salt should know when the appropriate methodology, Scrum, whatever you want to call it, is used. At a leadership level or outside of the organization, typically you don't have implementation teams or dev teams or anything like that it may well be appropriate to use something else i know certainly at a at a leadership level when you're coaching leadership you don't put them in a scrum team you create a leadership kanban board Probably, and yeah. you know and you make sure that that's visible to everybody revisit that frequently and say yeah. why are things not moving yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and kind of implicitly you're also coaching them along saying let's visit this every day what is stopping us from moving? Take a ticket and go. Yeah. What's stopping us from moving this to the right? right? So I think that that is something that every Scrum master should bear in mind: is there horses for courses, right? right? You don't necessarily shove Scrum at everything everywhere. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really help you. Well, I know I, I took us off track. So leading, let's break each individual item down in the first bullet point. Leading the organization in its Scrum adoption. Right, leading the organization, training the organization, coaching the organization in its in its scrum adoption. Like training is very straightforward. I mean, you're the person that's going to train them. Like if you're not okay being the person that's going to train them, 
maybe this is not a great role, right? Like, or, it, or find someone else. Uh, Some yeah, or, are, yeah, you know. or delegate it if yeah. you can, if it's possible. So now we're on to coaching and leading. I feel like if people, if people have come to this podcast, they are aware, at least minimally aware, of what is involved in coaching, being the coach, asking questions, saying, what have you tried, trying to get them through things, trying right. to help them through things, rather than telling them, ask them questions to get them. But I feel the like the dark horse in this sentence bullet point is leading the organization in its scrum adoption yeah yeah so i think there are various facets to this one right so leading what does that mean do you just simply go lead all these teams it probably doesn't mean that in practice in practice leading means you take a team and you show everybody in the organization by example of how you're succeeding so do what you're doing and radiate that everywhere right you know, just make sure that everyone's aware. Here are things that we're doing that are working. Oh, and by the way, here are things that we're doing that are not working, yeah. and we're learning from that, right? That's important. As important a lesson as what's working. To me, that, is, that falls squarely in line with leading because you're setting, you're setting expectations. If you work this way, you too can be successful. Right. And then reach out and lend a hand and say, if you want to adopt these practices, I can help you set that up. So if you're in... Most Scrum Masters are in some sort of dev environment. But if you're in that and you see that there's interest or you're generating interest in other business domains, mm -hmm. be ready to kind of reach out and say, can I help you in this way, right? Yeah. They're not developing software necessarily. It could be HR, finance, whoever. Yeah. The Scrum Master needs to know. They don't necessarily need to work in a Scrum way. They need to have a backlog of sorts. Yep. They need to prioritize that. They need to rank, stack rank it. They need to work through that. And maybe it looks like a Kanban board. That's okay. But you're leading them because they don't know what that is even all about. They don't know the rigor that's involved. And everybody here watching this so far, all 10 of you, know that Kanban requires more rigor, not yeah, less. More discipline. And right. that's another podcast that we'll do at one point to maybe. show why that is. Maybe. If we have a few quarters uh, that we can find in the sofa the way I look at leading when it when it says like leading is your job like leading is one of those things in the organization where it, it like excuses kind of fade away like that silos kind of fade away turf wars kind of fade away and, and your right. job is to to do what it takes to get whatever done whatever it is to get it done you know but now there's a I guess the star next to this one is if you come in and you're aligned under some director of development or director of, you know, director of the dustbin or whatever, some rando person in the hierarchy who's buried eight steps deep or whatever, like you probably are not delegated the proper authority to, with the role as well. So you're, it's going to be a real uphill climb. There'll be people that, that are like, well, you don't need authority from your role to lead. I'm like, well, yeah, that's true, but... Um, but it will be harder without it. It will be very difficult if you're buried in some segment of the organization far away. It will be like going to a sword fight without a sword or a shield. Yeah. But yeah, no, some people will actually work around the controls, in quotes, that a lot of organizations put in place. Mm -hmm. uh, they work around that. that. They'll form their own little alliances and go around, as I say, you know, the, the hard approval processes and whatnot. Yeah. Those are people that are the go-getters right yeah. well i'm gonna go get get this done right and i'm not gonna let this other thing stand in my way that will get you so far but it's better than nothing uh, oh coaching oh i want to touch on that a little bit yeah coaching so yeah. coaching the organization sometimes when this 
discussion happens with scrum masters. They go, but I'm a scrum master. I'm not a coach. We have an agile coach for that, mm-hmm. right? And isn't the agile coach the one responsible for coaching the organization? Well, the answer is yes and no. And so let me explain it. Yes, because they're an agile coach. It's in their title. They coach everybody, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. The organization as well as the teams. So true, it's in their purview. However, a scrum master isn't just mastering scrum for a team or two teams. And if they're over more than two teams, then yeah, just different problems. They need to understand the distinction between pure coaching and making sure that they're showing the way, the right way to the rest of the organization to change too, right? So here's what I mean by that. They're not a professional coach. Even agile coaches, I would argue, are not professional coaches. For the most part, there are some exceptions. Mm. In this particular context, a scrum master is really acting more as a mentor rather than a coach. I'm going to share my experience with you. This is this is good practice. This is how you sh- we should be doing yeah, things. Yeah. But by engaging with the conversation, by being willing to help them with these things, willing to train them, willing to set processes up, right, tools, things like that. O- overall, nebulously, I'd call that coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't a better word for it necessarily. An agile coach may come in and, and really kind of take that to a different level. They talk to the organization about what are some of the real business pain points? What are the customers looking for? Why are they not being successful? That's at a different level than perhaps a scrum master. Sure. But you know, oftentimes scrum masters get confused with this term and they say, well, I'm not the coach, I'm the scrum master. It's like, no, you're also a coach. Yeah. Unfortunately, there isn't a better term for it. Yeah, well, I have the quote going back to whatever the podcast that Fred was on, one of the early podcasts where I'm like, every yeah. every scrum master is an agile coach, but not every agile coach necessarily is a scrum master. I agree, 100%. You hit a great point that's not in here. Mentoring's not in, Doesn't the word doesn't appear in here at all, which is that the activity of mentoring is much different than the activity of coaching and and I would argue the skill set is like this is not the this is not the podcast. Maybe that's a different podcast, coaching versus sure. mentoring. Maybe that's a different podcast. Sure. Like they're in different quadrants. Yes, you know because one of them is is trying to get you to come to the realization, and the other one is I, I want you to do this and then see from it. So based, uh, based on your own experience, yeah, yeah t- it's, totally different. It's an exactly. asking asking versus telling thing. You know, it's a they are different in my mind. Yeah, one's really make asking the right questions to make sure that the the person being coached arrives at a conclusion by themselves right and not knowing the answer and not leading the answer right right? and the other one is saying well i know this problem i've seen it before this is the conclusion do this yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah who does this when there's no scrum master or agile or agile coaches so that's a great point in lieu of not having a scrum master or agile coach what do you have you know who are these people that are in those slots or different slots team leads dev leads yeah. managers so what do you do when you don't have them you pray a lot but these people that aren't necessarily in agile centric roles i'll say because these people necessarily aren't some are mm-hmm. very few so they may have worked in an agile centric role elsewhere so when you have that typically what happens is you find that there's someone, whether it's a BA, it could be a BA, it could even be a developer, it doesn't matter. Somebody says, hey, I know this way that we're working is not all that great. Right. I've worked in a different way before. Why don't we try this? Right. 
that's the person we need to tap. Oh man, is this why all the people on the old internet or on LinkedIn or whatever are crying about all the terror and horror stories about Scrum adoption? Because they, whoever was in, like, <clears throat> it clearly says leading training and coaching the organization in Scrum adoption. So if you have some director of development or a lead developer or whatever who's teaching them how to adopt Scrum because they're the Scrum master, but they're just teaching them all wrong. Yeah. Or if it's a manager or a project manager and they're putting their, like, hey, you guys can be self-organizing and do Scrum, except I need tell you what to do. I need to be able to tell you what to do and yeah. you need to give me dates for things that you've never done before. And like, is, yeah. that, is that why everyone's had bad experiences? Because uh, this bullet point is kind of being perverted. I was going to say co-opted. <laughs> no, perverted is a better yeah, description. Perverted. I was trying not to use the word perverted, but it, it actually is a really great it point. It belongs like, here. I think you're right. It, that's exactly the thing. These are the people that say, you know, well, we'll we're doing Scrum. They'll say that. They'll use these terms, right? But they're not really doing Scrum. Mm -hmm. They'll say, well, okay, Mayor, I'm going to assign you this task or this user story or whatever. Fred, you, you're gonna, you own this one. Yeah. They're, they're taking the work to the people. Right, and that is absolutely not what you do when you're really truly working in agile way. You bring the people to the work, right. and that concept is completely lost at that level when you don't have a scrum master or an agile coach. These people are used to being in that CNC, the command and control environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it tends to be often technical people, like tech leads, as you said, mm -hmm. technical people like tech leads or architects or development managers right. will say, do this, I need a project plan. You're doing this, you're doing this, and you're, you're gonna get this done by this date. Yeah. Now, any semblance of Agile just went out the window, but that's what they do. Yeah, yeah. I think we're, we've already crossed into the second bullet point, which is planning and advising Scrum implementations within the organization. I would expect this is gonna be like the, our quickest bullet point in here. I think so. But planning and advising Scrum implementations within the organization. This is probably the toughest part that I see when I go to organizations is they delegate this to somebody who's in management, but then they also have a scrum master. And I'm all, all, I'm in the position to say, you have a scrum master in-house. You're paying for a scrum master in-house. Why don't you delegate to the person who their whole role is to go out and bring in expertise and to figure out new challenges and talk to people in their network to figure out, because assuming that every implementation of Scrum has to be somehow customized to fit in your organization, right? Even though the Scrum trainers, the, the, the Scrum trainer, well, the normal Scrum trainers, not not the babies that we deal with, but the, the, right. the, 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 the real Scrum trainers that are out there, they'll probably be like, well, just implement Scrum how it is out of the book. You don't have to deal with this. But a lot of people don't implement it right out of the book. I'm wondering if it's because they are not going to their in-house expert for this bullet point where it says, your job is to plan and advise Scrum implementation throughout the organization, within the organization, it says. I think it's both things, right? So you're right about that one. You know, I think a lot of organizations will have their in-house management people to lead this effort even though they have a scrum master there. Right. And there's usually a sense of hierarchy there. You know, the manager is above the scrum master. They're going to say, I've seen a video or two on YouTube. I yeah, know yeah. how scrum works. Right? You're going to do this. Not, By the way, where's your, where, where, where your Gantt chart? Yeah, where's your Gantt the, chart? These are the people that... So this, this happens way, mm -hmm. way too often out there. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is, I've seen very few scrum masters that stand up and say, that's not quite right. This is how we should try it. This yeah. is how we should do things. 
So I think it's both sides here. Planning and advising in the Scrum implementation boils down to looking at the situation at hand. Typically, it's the easiest when it's familiar territory, like a development work stream, right? Because that's what you're working on more often than not. So advising others, there may not be another Scrum Master there. Advising them how to implement Scrum is, yeah. is the next step. That's the easiest step. Then you look beyond that and say, well, Scrum maybe is not even the right way to work here. Maybe it's some other way. Let's figure that out. Sure. You know, that that requires a Scrum Master to step outside their comfort zone and mm-hmm. say, I can talk to HR, I can talk to finance, I can yep. talk to legal. Yep. That That is not all that common either. Yep. Scrum Masters are inwardly focused to their team or teams, yeah. typically. You know, the other thing that, that I've seen Scrum Masters run into a problem with in this category is since they are sort of representing this, this category of leadership, that doesn't have like leadership, but not in the way that is like supervisory leadership, like organizational leadership, like process leadership. You know what I mean? Yeah. Since they're in this 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 role that the organization doesn't really know what to do with, the organization will say like some, some VP or something, whoever their hiring manager is, will say, "Oh, I just came out of a meeting with the executives, and they want to know everyone's KPIs. They want to know everything." to put on the annual performance review where we look at what you did once per year and say, how can we be improving? Because that's how their organization thinks that they do things or whatever. Hey, thinks that they improve or whatever. But regardless, like, regardless of beating that door down again, many, many times that we've right. beaten them before, Scrum Masters will struggle with, well, I don't know what metrics to provide to leadership. So leadership, th- like this is where the question that you might hear from Scrum Masters of like, leadership is asking for my velocity per team to measure us on because the scrum master either doesn't know what better metrics to pose to their leaders when they ask for some way to measure your performance and the organization literally has no they don't understand right or they're not coaching the organization to say this is the way you should be measuring my effectiveness right we started talking about planning and advising scrum implementation within the organization we started that from the perspective of who does it when there's no scrum master we're talking about leadership or dev leads or different different people in the organization and and uh, we talked about a whole bunch of examples but who who, like when you're planning and advising scrum implement there's going to be I think almost every single organization I've been at, there's going to be someone in leadership that says, well, how do we know that this Scrum implementation is successful? They're going to ask that question. And then you have to bring some kind of probably quantitative metric, like not qualitative. I give you qualitative metrics all day. I give you surveys. I give you all kinds of stuff. But quantitative metrics are going to come up in this category. For anyone who's listening to this that made it this far, (laughs) both of you that made it this far, (laughs) you're going to say, hey, give me something to actually take back to my job and use. Well, what metrics can they actually take back to their job and try to use to say, hey, our implementation of Scrum is going well because I can prove. Yeah, so first I want to say you're absolutely right. It has to be quantitative, right? You can't just say, I feel it's going well. That doesn't work, right? It, it, you need to be able to show it. You I need mean, to be able to prove it. might work for a while. Yeah, initially, maybe for a sprint or two sprints, you can hide behind this thing called the sprint zero, which isn't a real thing. But anyway, yeah, long term yeah. or, or over and over again, really every sprint or you know every couple of sprints, you need to be able to go back to the leadership and say, here's how we're performing. Right. And there gut feels aren't sufficient right right? so it has to be quantitative this is where things get tricky because more often than not scrum masters 
And it's a two-way street. Scrum masters just say, well, all I have is velocity, so I'm going to offer that up. Uh. Leadership will say, we know about velocity. What are you delivering? You know, how, how, what's the rate of delivery? Yeah. And they measure that. It's okay, in principle, to share that. That's fine. It's a measure. It's like, it's like saying, well, right now, at this point in time, I'm driving a vehicle down I-4. That's not a good example. I-4 is chock-a-block right now, Friday. <laughs> anyway, I, oh, I, let's, I-75, going way north from here. Okay, and I'm doing 65 miles an hour, let's say, because I'm a law-abiding person. All right, so 65. And then an hour later, I'm still doing 65. Those are hard numbers, 65, 65. Yeah. That's okay. However, if somebody says to you, well, you're only doing 65? You're doing 65 an hour ago, two hours ago. Yeah. You got to get to Georgia, for God's sake, right? Get up to 80, get up to 90. Mm-hmm. That is what happens in real life. So these things get weaponized. And this is where we need to think about this and say, what? why are they even asking for this? So let's step back a bit. A savvy scrum master would say, what are you looking for? Right? And they say, well, we're looking to see how well your teams are performing, let's say. Okay, that's fine. But let's put that aside for a bit. Sometimes they say, well, we're in a transformation. We need to know how the transformation is going. Those two things are not the same, right? right? How well are your teams performing and how your transformation is going are choke and cheese. Mm-hmm. They're totally different. And if you don't get that, we'll do a podcast on it. Let us know. But we will because they, they're not the same and oftentimes they get completely confused. So going back to the metrics, yes, numbers, but what numbers, right? Well, the team can manufacture numbers all day long if they figure out what is being measured. So if velocity is the number, well, they'll just estimate everything higher and boom, increase in velocity. Is that really going to make a difference though, right? So you need something that is not measured by the team and delivered by the team. So then what does that mean? You go back to leadership and say, what are you looking for from us in the next two weeks? Do they know? If they don't know, then you don't have a yardstick for which to measure against. And if you don't have that, all bets are off. Typically, it works better, depending on the organization, where leadership could be, you might be reporting into the like a PMO or a technology organization, as opposed to being independent and, and working for the business. Yeah. If it's a technology organization, then whatever measure you give them, they're going to always say, raise the bar, jump higher, jump yeah. higher. Yeah, yeah. If it's the business organization, on the other hand, if yeah. you train them and coach them and say, you give us the marching orders. What are you looking for? Yeah. What are the most important things for you in the next two weeks? Right? And the team can look at that and based on past history, understanding of the new work, etc. You say, well, we can do 80% of that. And if we do 80% of what you're asking for, because we can only do 80%, that is really 100% delivery. Mm-hmm. We are successful by any measure. Yeah. So in reality, that boils down to something like business value, something like that. Once the team gets way mature past that, it's not even the business side of the house. It is really the consumers, the, the customers. Customers, yeah. But that's the stretch, right? Yeah. That, that's going to happen well, later. I don't, I don't think it is a stretch. What we're talking about still ties in. It's still bundled up with the first bullet point we talked about. Planning and advising scrum implementations, like planning is straightforward. Okay, you're planning. If, you, if you've been doing this, if you went through your classes and you stick to the book, you can 
involve yourself in planning, right? Every organization is a little bit different, but the principles are there. You can apply it, yeah. dealing with reality. Okay, planning. Advising scrum implementations within the organization. Advising, okay? Now we're back to it, like, what you were saying. Like, well, I need some metrics. Okay, well, my advice, if you need metrics, is let's drive through to the customers. Let's figure out if we're producing valuable software every iteration and figure out a way to get that information from the customers per sprint. So maybe it's after the sprint, they get prompted for some kind of review of, was this a valuable session? Are you happy with the direction of the product? Maybe maybe in addition to that, they get stuff from their product people. Maybe their product people don't have any kind of net promoter score stuff. Maybe their product people don't have any kind of user feedback forms or whatever. Like you as a scrum master, like it's easy to say this is this is why it goes back to our first bullet point of leading the organization in scrum adoption okay when you're leading the organization you don't get to say well i'm positioned under the pmo and they're an old school organization so they're not they don't like it when i stretch outside of to go around them to talk to these customers if leading is part of your job you don't get to say well i'm in the silo so i just got to stay in this little silo I agree. However, here's what I'm willing to wager on too. The majority of the scrum masters out there today, I'm willing to say, don't know what an NPS is. This is why I say it's a stretch yeah. because you've got it's 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 a journey. You've, you've got to get to the point where the business internally, at least, understands how you're delivering. Mm-hmm. But but over time, you need to get to that point where you say, well, even the business really doesn't matter. What yeah. matters is your customers. Mm-hmm. Get them in and say, what do you need? Yeah. Right. And then if you go beyond that, it doesn't even boil down to asking the customer what they need. It boils down to just simply shutting up and listening. What, yeah. what are they saying? Yeah, but again, if you're planning and advising a Scrum implementation and you are not the one continually driving the vision of we gotta get to the customer and you're, and you're continuing to change the metrics to change the direction to, to tr- promote the vision of let's get to what the customer says in everything you do yeah you're not doing the best job at at this bullet point like you it, the product person it's up to it's up to the product person to, to do discovery to make sure the business doesn't get involved in stuff that's not profitable to make sure the business doesn't get involved in stuff that the customer is not going to use they have a bunch of a bunch of things to knock right. off right absolutely your job in the scrum master position is the people so if your job is a people, let's make sure that you're getting your arms around everybody in the organization to bring them along yeah. to where you're going. Like that, that's a whole job. Like ad- advising a scrum implementation means kind of going outside of, uh, again, outside. if your borders are a silo, like, like we talk about across functional teams versus component teams, yes. right? That's that's fine. You come in, you're a scrum master, and you realize that may, like maybe it didn't come out during the interview when you start working, you realize they're component teams. They're working on their little thing. The business analyst team passes it to the development team. They pass it to the QA team. They pass it to the, I don't know, DevOps team or whatever that sends it to production. And then that sends it to a UAT team. Right. And then customers get it. And then nobody, none of those teams talk to the customers. Only the project manager who's in charge of all the phases talks to the, you know what I mean? Like you don't realize this. Yeah. I don't know how you would get through an interview not realizing this, but right. the point is, if, if, if you come in the organization as a scrum master and, and your role is advising their scrum implementation, your, your new job now coaching the organization, because that's the bullet point we're talking about, yep. becomes 
trying to talk to every single one of these teams. Like, you might only be on, like, the DevOps team or the UAT team, right? Your job now becomes talking to every single team, talking to the project manager, talking to the customers, and then talking to executives, and then putting all of that input together. But you're not hired or incentivized or monitored or, you know, yeah. tracked. I don't know. I don't know what another business way to say this. Like, none of the going outside of your little tiny silo but but according to Scrum Guide, that is your job. It, it is, but a lot of Scrum, well, not a lot. Most Scrum Masters aren't even equipped to do that. They're not equipped to do all of these things. Yeah. All they know is the scripted idea of here's what you do in a, in a Scrum cycle, right. so that's what I'll do. Right. I'll take care of the events, right? And I'm there for my team if they raise blockers. That's about the extent of it. Yeah, yeah. So, to your point, yes, that that's what the Scrum guy is saying. It requires a different set of skills, though. Yeah, but it, it requires diplomacy. It yeah, requires yeah. negotiation skills. Yeah, right? but everything you said was covered in a previous podcast of part number yeah. one, serving the Scrum team. Yeah, yes, you yeah. do serve the Scrum team, and then like, oh well, what do you do all day? Well, I mean, are we talking about making connections with all the other teams in order to break down the silos right. and try to convince them and help them understand that you know maybe we take a person off of each team and make this make this trial team that does all the phases at once and talks directly to the customers. And maybe we work in parallel with the project manager for a while just to test out this new way of working, just right. to see anyone who anyone who's listening to this, who, who's a scrum master who says, well, I'm just overwhelmed with the work that I do for the teams. I understand. Write all this down because when someone asks with that acerbic attitude of what do you do all day? Give them the list. You know, I'm going through an organizational change slowly. You know, I, basically, I'm I'm eroding a glacier slowly over time because that's the only way right. to erode a glacier. You know, we're moving at a glacial pace, especially if you're in a global, very large organization. Sure. I don't know if we touched on it on any other podcast, but what you're saying is really the kind of underpinnings of an agile transformation. It, they take time and right. people go, well, we're going to fund that for six months or a year. Right, are we agile now at the end of the year? It, yeah. it takes time because yeah. fundamentally it's about changing behavior patterns. Right. What do you do all day? I change behavior over a large period of time. Right. Uh, however <laughs> long it takes to change human behavior. Yeah, I know. Talk to a UI UX designer about a changing user behavior if you want to know more about that one. Let's move to the third bullet point for the purposes of moving on quickly. Helping employees and stakeholders understand and enact an empirical approach for complex work. Wow, that bullet point's a mouthful. So I'm, I'm gonna say it one more time. So the third bullet point in how a Scrum Master serves the organization is helping employees and stakeholders understand, are there any any other groupings in the, like helping employees and stakeholders? That's everyone, right? Pretty much. Okay, Hel helping everyone understand and enact an empirical approach for complex work. Like I said, if we did a previous podcast on this that we would never post, that will not get posted, I would have posited somewhere along the lines of this bullet point basically encompasses all of all of product discovery all all of what is encompassed in product discovery because taking an empirical approach involves two things that people are not good at generally for again just my observation mm -hmm. just my observation I, I feel like i should restart this to, to kind of soften the blow to people's fragile egos for this one just in my observations from my only own from my own experiences what this bullet point means is you are taking an empirical approach to software development work which means sometimes 
when people come up with ideas to solve complex problems, those ideas may not pan out. They may end up being bad ideas or bad business cases. And they might lead back to you saying, this is a bad business case in the first place. We shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be engaging in using a piece of software a way it's not intended to be used because maybe when the vendor makes a change, they'll blow up our whole business model or they'll blow up our whole technological implementation. It's helping employees and stakeholders, again, I think employees and stakeholders, basically everybody, helping employees and stakeholders understand empirical methods of working, empirical methods of working. I think the groupings, employee and stakeholders is a large universe, but it's not everybody. All right, so again, in a fairly mature agile organization, it would include customers as well. Sure. But let's stay with this. Scrum guy says so. So employees and stakeholders understand and enact empirical approach for complex work. Couple of things there. If, if the work wasn't complex, it, we would just stamp out widgets all day sure. long, right? It is complex, things aren't known necessarily. So an empirical approach simply boils down to try something, see how it works, and respond to that. That's what it boils down to at the end of the day. Now, helping employees enact an empirical approach, in real life, what that looks like for a scrum master day in, day out would be to listen, listen to ideas. Don't block people out because initial reaction in your mind might be, well, that'll never work. You don't know that, so hold that judgment, right. right? Listen to them, ask other questions, ask questions and get everybody's input. Oh that's boy. the first thing. Oh boy, I like I know I know you're in the middle of a thought, so it's not cool no, to no, cut you off, that, but like I, I just thought about a team I was on one time where the scrum master, the scrum who didn't really have a dedicated scrum master. I think it was a QA person that did this role, but their their job on that team was to just just parrot the phrase what makes you think that's the best solution to this problem. And they would just say that regardless, regardless if it's something that we talked about for a million years or something that some, you know what I mean? Because occasionally you'd have a VP come in the room and be like, I need a drop down to change the color of this or whatever. What makes you think that's the best way to solve the customer's problem? Right. Like if you, ask, if you ask that question without the problem ever being stated, like you're really opening up. In, I guess I should step back for a second. In some cultures, you're really <laughs> opening yourself up for a fight. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. In other cultures, I mean, you're really opening yourself up to explore all options. So you're not making a huge mistake in wasting a bunch of money on implementation when you haven't really thought about what is the real problem we're trying to solve. Because depending on the type of company, you know I mean, people sell stuff, promise stuff, whatever, all the time it happens. Yeah. That's fine. I'm not trying to change the world with this, but I am trying to say this, this helping people understand an empirical approach it does mean if you can have somebody and again the scrum guide taps a scrum master to be that somebody if you can have somebody on your team that always says what makes you think show me your evidence that leads you to this conclusion yeah and scrum master doesn't have to necessarily judge from a technical perspective or anything like that right they just simply have to make sure that nobody's bulldozing somebody else sure who comes up with a, an idea and somebody just and usually that's that's true in a rank-based title-based organization rather than a collaborative environment mm-hmm. with somebody goes, well that'll never work and then the other person who came up with it is just immediately shut down right a scrum master would then say okay i hear you say it would never work what makes you think it wouldn't work right what makes you think this is a good idea? Entertain those those kinds of things. 
So I agree that a Scrum Master can facilitate the dialogue, yeah. right? But there is a little bit more than that here. And here's why I say that. No matter what option you pursue, the Scrum Master is the one that sets the expectation that there are no guarantees. We're going to try this and we'll see how it goes, right? And at some point, pretty soon here, we'll know whether it's working or not. Yeah. And then we'll reevaluate. If it's yeah. working or we think it might be working or it's certainly not failing yet, we'll continue until such time as we think, well, this is a a non-starter mm -hmm. then we'll go back but at no point will we say we failed what we'll say is that approach didn't work but here's what we learned from that how do we pivot and incorporate the learning that culture it has to be instilled and encouraged by the scrum master because yeah. nobody else is going to do it yeah how you serve the team is in a whole nother podcast yeah. we're talking about the organization now so this is driving this mentality organizationally you know, get, getting the organization to understand like, hey, don't come to me and say, I need a drop down that turns this box gray and I need it by November 1st or whatever, January 1st or whatever. Look, why are you bringing me a solution? There's nothing to try in that solution. There's no empiricism right. in what you just brought me. So first of all, it might not be the whatever random unreasonable stakeholders that I'm pinning in this conversation. It might be the product owner who's just taking orders from people around the organization that you right. need to coach sure, to say, hey, listen, we don't know if this is the, the financially the best option because there's been no experiments done. If I'm shoving us back into the discovery space before the development team actually starts working on implementing a solution, I'm saying the Scrum Master has an opportunity now to talk to all of the product managers organizationally talk to all of them and say, hey, before you bring something to development teams, you should do a little bit of vetting to figure out if, you know, if customers are going to use it, if right. customers, if it's technically feasible, uh, drive it around the organization, build some alignment, build some consensus if you if you prefer that term or whatever. But there, there should be a little bit of work done beforehand so that we're not testing ideas through building features in development. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I, I think the flip side, not not even the flip side, really, the, just another angle on that is the Scrum Master should encourage not only this kind of, it's almost risk-taking behavior, right? In, yeah. in, in light of not knowing, within limits, but in the light of not knowing the future, you, you're trying an approach. Look at it from your team's perspective. Listen to all your developers. They may be able to say, to your example, yeah. when someone says, oh, I need to drop down and make this thing gray, and the developer might say, well, drop down is probably not the best option, right? Encourage the questioning from your team. Encourage them to ask, why do you need to make it gray? Yeah. Right? As opposed to a drop down is the answer. I mean, to your point, that's a solution. Mm -hmm. Somebody's bringing you, where's the problem? I need to make it gray because. Mm -hmm. And then, some other developer might say, well, gray, gray doesn't really work with the ADA standards, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So have a discussion around that. Maybe it's not gray. Maybe it's some other shade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Overall, it just boils down to making sure that you're enabling people to talk without risk of being shut down right, yeah, right. by anybody else. Entertain all alternatives, select the best one based on not gut feel, your opinion, opinion of somebody in the room. Mm -hmm outside of the organization, outside the scrum team rather, from someone else in the organization. Yeah. And see how it goes, but then be prepared to pivot. 
set that up ahead of time so people are not perceiving that as your team failed, mm. right? That that's not how it should go. You know, the other thing I I would do as a scrum master because assuming you have some kind of skill in whatever your ALM tool is, I would figure out a way for the product team, like uh, the coordinated across all the product managers or product owners, whatever you want to call it. I figure out a way for their discovery experiments to be documented and then visualized somehow so that you can, when you go in front of the leadership, you can visualize there's there's this amount of work that has to happen to, to knock down business risk before the development team starts working on it and make that become a normal part of discussions. When, when, when normally when software development work is presented, the leadership is presented like, you know, delivery map, you know what I mean? A release map, basically. Right. We in the X quarter, we released this release and now we're releasing this with some release notes before you give them a release map show them the run-up to, to that release map of these are things we tried and it led to this release. Right. Yeah, a couple of things here that I want to say. Encourage something like a, a lab backlog where you can try these experiments. Mm-hmm. When you go to leadership and say, here's where, this is what we're going to do and here's why we tried all these things. Yeah. There's two levels to it. First of all, at the experiment level, it's absolutely a numbers thing. Mm-hmm. You, you know you failed or you've succeeded because of hard numbers that underpin that. But when you go to leadership, it isn't necessarily around that. It, it is around, here are all the alternatives we've tried, mm-hmm. right? And and what we're now about to embark upon is the best of the alternatives. Some of these failed, some of these kind of sort of failed, kind of sort of didn't, right? But these ones we think will give us the best bang for the buck. So at that level, it isn't underpinned by hard numbers necessarily, but they take comfort in the fact that you've tried various alternatives and you've now chosen something that's grounded, ruling out those possibilities that, that may not succeed. Yeah. You know, so they're not looking for, well, this alternative failed because necessarily. So it's two different scales. One is hard numbers at the experiment level. The other one is, is really just more of a, okay, I'm satisfied. You've done the due diligence. You've done, you've done the exploration and you're saying this is the right thing to do. Based on what I've seen you've done, mm-hmm. I'm gonna back that, mm-hmm. right? So bear that in mind. It's not always numbers, it's not always gut feel. It's, sure. you've got to position it where it is, but something like a, a lab backlog is a great idea across all of the product line, mm-hmm. right? Just make sure that people can buy into it and say, if you do this, you may think it's successful, but what does it mean for right. this person over here right. or for me? Who does this if you have no scrum masters in your organization? It is, I know. As I'm asking it, I'm like, ooh, there's a good chance this kind of stuff just doesn't get talked about or done if there's no scrum masters at your organization. Maybe your product people have a good, have a really good empirical process between them. And then they, like Google, Google, they're very famous for, there's a, there's a famous YouTube thing with a, or it might be either a GoTo or a TED Talk. I can't remember what it is. I might find it actually if I'm not super lazy and link it. Like last time, last time I was like, <laughs> I'll link this. And I'm like, oh, even when I was editing, I was like, oh God, do I have to? <laughs> I might find it and link it where he's talking about Google, their, their labs where they do like discovery kind of stuff, mm-hmm. like startup kind of stuff. They don't really like, they do agile, but they're, they're, they're tar- they more do Kanban where the entire team is dedicated to one specific story. Mm-hmm. And they work on it for two or three days. And at the end of those two or three days, they do a presentation of what they learned or what they did to the person that they're doing it for. Yep. So, th- so basically, they're doing like the the like this 
extreme dojo version of Scrum. Skunk Works. Right? Yeah. yeah. Where, where they're all working, the whole team is working on one single. So it's the, the extremely focused version. And then, of course, the Scrum people will will be like, oh, they don't, they're not doing Scrum. See, they don't have a Scrum Master. <laughs> yeah, but they're, they're only working on one single problem. They're completely dedicated to one problem. So I would argue they're doing the most pure form of Scrum. And also, also, Google has Agile coaches on the staff. So the point of me bringing that up was if you're helping employees understand empirical processes, you have organizations like this that are purely empirical. They're only working on this problem to see if they can figure out a way to solve it and then letting the customer be the judge at the end of the three days or whatever right. the hyper-focused period is. It's the shortest path, I think, right? I mean, some of these organizations also have processes in place where, let's say on a Friday, the team doesn't work on anything real. They just simply innovate. Sure. Right? And after a while, you, you, get, to, you get to put your innovation up for a prize right, right, right. and it's something substantial usually so it, it all boils down to the tolerance the risk tolerance of the organization and in the past some time ago now we used to say the larger the organization the lower the risk tolerance it's direct correlation linearly with the, the hierarchy right mm -hmm. but now that's not true anymore mm -hmm. so to your point google huge organization in terms of people at least but they do all these things that we just talked about. Yeah. So I, I think that analogy is broken down some time ago. And, and I've also seen the other side, which is really sad, is some small startups, they, they're great when they're startups. And then after a little while, suddenly they, they grow to that critical point when they start acquiring layers sure. and hierarchy sure. and all the whole thing breaks down because they hire these people in these spots. But I think a scrum master, this will bring us back to, back to the, mm -hmm. uh, the point here of, of encouraging experimentation and em empirical approach, it's in the framing. It yeah. isn't. It isn't that we're just going to try something. It's we're going to try something because we want to achieve this. This is our hypothesis. So either we're going to prove it or we're going to disprove it. Right. If we disprove it, it's not a slight on anyone. It's not a failure. It's a learning opportunity. We've learned that that hypothesis was invalid. But here's what we've learned. So based upon what we've learned, let's form a new hypothesis. Yes. And I and the other side I want to say with the last thing on this topic is leadership need to encourage this this is not the point of the podcast it's more from the scrum master's point of view but scrum masters should be really learning from not learning from teaching i guess the, the organization to say please please encourage us mm -hmm. let us innovate mm -hmm. right don't just hold us to task on everything yeah. otherwise there's no room to innovate yeah. we're stifling well that's that's the first bullet point here leading training the organization in scrum adoption mm -hmm. i mean i feel the issue with the lead role is you should get asked from the people above you and the people below you i know i don't have a better analogy like your your subordinates and your superiors <laughs> you should get asked from either direction like hey i need this I need you to do more of this, sure. you know, and if you're in an executive role and your employees that are under you are not asking, hey, we need you to do more of whatever. It's um, a failure on you. I, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say there, there's a failure going on and you need to kind of wake up and be like, how come no one's coming to me mm -hmm. and asking why I'm not doing more of X, Y, Z. Is it maybe because they're afraid of talking to you and then that's a problem, right? So maybe you need a scrum master to say, hey, this is people's perception of you. Here's a little self-awareness right. sprinkled into your life to maybe help you move forward as a person. Again, this is why, like when we, when we again, 
if we had recorded this before and I threw it all out, what I would have said on the recording was, if the scrum master was an HR position, and all the scrum masters, people will immediately push back on that and be like, well, scrum master, HR doesn't know anything about software development. They can't know anything. They can't dare be part of, if the scrum master was aligned under HR, the HR scrum master, to make sure all my technical teams are working with each other and have established some kind of psychological safety in the organization because that's important and they are all involved there they are the hr delegated individual insured empowered with making sure that every single person on every single scrum team is learning and evolving and being a better employee mm-hmm. and that's the scrum master and and uh, it was never in the scrum guide and had nothing to do with development. Like we wouldn't be having this conversation. Absolutely. There wouldn't be a million people on LinkedIn picking up, picking at all this low hanging fruit of like, well, I don't know. I think some part-time dude on the street can do it, you know, for 50 cents or whatever. Like there, none of these conversations would be happening because everyone would say, oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I guess these are, all these soft skills are HR skills. Yeah, I would like to have somebody looking out for me and my team rather than looking out for the executives, right? I, yeah. I would like that, actually. It would be very beneficial for me. You know, uh, uh, obviously, people would have a hard time because the the mis- distrust of HR is very yeah. deeply ingrained. But that part, I felt, was the, the, the most concentrated, like, for people who don't understand what a scrum master does all day, yeah. that, that explanation is very concentrated on they they do a lot of stuff that hr does for the executive team and hr does not do for your team they do a lot of that stuff they do so like enjoy it while you have the advantage of it and take advantage of it take advantage of it the last thing here which i don't want to spend a bunch of time on is removing barriers between stakeholders and scrum teams i don't want to spend a bunch of time on this one because i feel everyone can kind of align on this quickly is there Removing barriers, like you see silos, you see people not talking to customers, you see people operating in waterfall phases that are just named something else. You got to be knocking those down. Yeah, and then you've got to take you've got to take the opportunity that's in front of you, right, and not shy away from it. So my example there is the pandemic brought us new challenges, and a lot of times I hear scrum masters complain, "Go, oh, ah, my team's offshore. It's really difficult to find time." All of that is true, you know. Time zones are what they are, so do the best you can. But then they say, well, our retros, we used to be able to celebrate together, and we can't do that because our teams are offshore. Yeah. Thinking, well, maybe send everybody just a little gift card. Do something. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't have budget for that, right? So stand up for that and say, in order to improve morale with our scrum team, we need a little bit of budget. This is not that much money, really. $25 gift cards for everybody once in a while. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have, have to be every sprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there are organizations that will deliver food at the same time uh, across the globe. So take advantage of that. It's a little bit more money, but yeah. so do that every release or something. I don't know. You know, if you're into those kinds of time-based releases. Come on, man. You can't, you can't climb in the organization, go to the CFO and be like, hey, man, can I get 0.1% of the revenue this team brings in? To One's a huge amount. He ain't gonna spare that. Uh, like, what can I get then? Half of a half of a half of a Go percent. Say, I need a thousand dollars. Point zero it. zero five of a percent. Again, yeah, I, yeah. I'm starting from the used car uh, lot salesman right. mentality of I'm gonna step in and say, hey, I want that car for ten thousand dollars, and the used car salesman is gonna be like, that's a ridiculous amount. I can't give you that car for ten thousand dollars. That's when you say, that's, a, that's a thirty thousand dollar car, and then you'll say, mm, thirty thousand dollar car, it smells like twenty thousand. 
thousand or whatever, and you'll negotiate from there. The point is, you're doing something. Yes. You're trying something. You, you're highlighting the he fact might that walk Scrum away. Master needs to negotiate now. Sure, yeah. That is something that is definitely under removing barriers. That's, it's a barrier yeah. that you don't have this little bit of a budget that you need. So if the Scrum Master is not going to do this or if the organization won't hire a Scrum Master, who else's role <laughs> is removing barriers between stakeholders and Scrum teams? There is nobody that I can think of in this, in this instance. There is nobody. They're just going to say, don't they get paid? Just throw more work at them. That's right, what they'll well. do. Thank you for coming to this podcast. <laughs>